Coog's house. Yo, I made a new discovery. There's no rule against winning two games in a row. Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the daily podcast all about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angel, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to step by, please be sure to hit subscribe and download the podcast each day for the latest things on Cougs all year long. If you're subscribed, our show should pop up on your feed each day so you can be sure to make Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. All right, so today we're going to celebrate the big win by the Houston Cougar football team in Annapolis. Right, that's right. We won another football game. We won two in a row. I guess we technically took a week off in between, and maybe that helped. No, production tells me you're allowed to just win two games in a row. We're going to start off this Monday Funday by looking at all the things that the offense did right, all the offensive standouts. Then in the second segment, we're going to look at the defensive standouts and look at who performed well on the defense side of the ball. And then in our third segment, we're going to not look too far ahead. We're going to look at things that went wrong, things that still make me a little shaky, and things I'm still worried about as we look at the Houston Cougars. Even in a big win, yes, there were some things, a full segment worth of things to say I feel a little bit shaky about. But first, let's start with the offense. Now, the offense had a great outing in Annapolis. They really, really took apart the Navy defense. I think it's worth pointing out that we asked for them to start fast, and they had three touchdowns in their first four possessions of the football game. Now, that was slow because the way Navy plays offense kind of eats a lot of clock, right? But Houston had three touchdowns in their first four possessions. And frankly, if they hadn't fumbled the ball in the third possession, they probably are also on their way to scoring a touchdown there. Clayton Toon obviously gets one big standout or one good big uh, gold star helmet stick or whatever you may hand out for it. He had 261 yards on 21 to 30 passing and five touchdowns. That's five touchdowns for the big man. That is veteran leadership at its finest. I think it's interesting to point out that that's five touchdowns on 261 yards. So it was frankly like a lot of the passes, right? That's a lot of the passing yards leading directly to touchdowns. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about fumbles. We are going to look at Stacy Sneed came in and carried a large workload, 20 carries for 100 yards, uh, one big run of 35 yards. But on the whole, I think it's interesting to see that's like a next man up mentality after a fumble by a different running back. We're not going to be the podcast that throws people under the bus too, too far, or at least I'm trying not to be. But Stacy Sneed had a big day running the football as soon as his name got called. Obviously, another big part of this is we can look at offensively, the kind of spacing that Holgerson's offense creates. It really, really opened up guys like the amount of separation the Houston wide receivers were able to get from Navy defensive backs was very, very interesting. It was like the kind of separation we hadn't really seen to this point in the season across the board. We've seen Tank Dell do that now and then. We've seen Keyshawn Carter do it once or twice. But to see across the board, Houston wide receivers able to separate from a lot of man coverage was very very impressive. And I think, frankly, we to make sure we need to give our hats off to the offensive line along the way there. Uh, Clayton Toon had a ton of time to throw. The football was rarely touched in the pocket, had normal five and six counts before having to release the ball. That allows for his wide receivers, obviously, to create a little bit more separation because they can run a little bit more complicated routes. And frankly, it's really, really hard to cover for five, six, seven seconds. And so when they get that kind of time, which is, again, unheard of to get in Division One football, even group of five football, to have five, six, seven seconds at some times to separate from the defense is really, really impressive. So that's a big shout out to the offensive line for taking care of business up front. I would also argue that that is why Stacey Sneed had such a great day on the ground as well. He, again, he's averaging 
five yards a carry at 20 carries for 100 yards because he is getting to the second level before he's getting touched more often than not. Now, obviously, like we can go through and go like, well, on this counterplay, I really like the left guard or on this pass play i really like what the left tackle did and ricocheting down those kinds of things but i don't want to lose too too many people getting logged down bogged down into offensive line specifics just as a whole the offensive line unit played particularly well in this game versus previous games i will say though if you're trying to give one guy a shout out obviously the blind is gonna be fairly important but patrick paul a local kid from jersey village really really did step up and frankly i talk about that like ricocheting down so Okay, a little bit of offensive line getting bogged down and kind of stuff, but if you overset or if you get passed up by a defensive lineman they try and undercut you or try and cut to the inside gap, the ricochet or whatever, where you're popping the outside shoulder and basically washing the defensive lineman across the, across the formation was interesting to see because A, Patrick Paul did it very well a couple different times, and B, you saw Toon use that on his little like, short rolls to kind of continue to bide his time back there in the backfield, and he got to keep his eyes wide open, like just downfield looking for guys to break open. I was really, really impressed when I saw Patrick Paul do that a couple different times. Uh, that 76, looking at the big fellas, I really, really, really liked what I saw out of him. I could also talk about Tyler Johnson leading the way in the run game, but they were getting too much in the offense line because most of you are probably more focused on guys like Keyshawn Carter with 62 yards on three catches. That's several big, big catches. Sam Brown himself had two touchdowns on five catches and 33 yards. He had that kind of separation in the shorter route game, which was interesting because I guess the touchdowns, you know, he might have been able to score from farther out. We're getting more, another guy that could really do that for sure. However, Sam Brown pulling in two touchdowns in this game is exactly why you went on and got Sam Brown in the first place. Sam Brown was a literal Big 12 recruit. While he, was at, he was at West Virginia. He had a couple years then out between the COVID year and his own redshirt year. He's actually technically just a freshman on the Houston football team. But as Houston looks to make waves in the Big 12 next fall, having a guy like Sam Brown, who was a Big 12-level recruit, was a Big 12 type of kid, and has frankly seen Big 12 football come to Houston, show up, show out, and kind of show the way to that, I think that really, really helps the program continue to step forward and makes the transition to the Big 12 really, really smooth. Now, we can't talk about offensive standouts without talking about Nathaniel Tank Dell. It's truly one of those moments where eight catches for 93 yards and two touchdowns just doesn't feel like it adequately does the job in telling his story, right? Tank Dell manipulated the defense in a way that his eight catches is not the eight plays he made, right? Double covering Tank Dell opened up Keyshawn Carter. Double teaming Tank Dell opened up Chris Strahan. Double teaming Tank Dell opened up the run game. Working towards covering him manipulated the defense in a way that is an MVP kind of performance out of Tank Dell. I would also point out that even if you just look at like yards per catch, just eight catches, nine, three yards is a big, big day. Two touchdowns is a big, big day. But on those touchdown catches, on both of those touchdown catches, I should say, he was so open on his own route running ability that frankly, just giving him 93 yards, like the 11-yard touchdown catch, right? It's like he gets 11 yards for that. He would have scored from 40 out. There was no one within 5 or 10 yards of him when he catched the football, and he's got that kind of speed because he pulls the double move, shakes the guy, and gets the end zone, and like he just gets the 11 yards on it, and that's just the way the stat books go. But that doesn't really tell a story about how open and how good a day he had, and because he was able to work his own route tree like that, it manipulates and shifts the defense in a way that, again, makes him an MVP kind of guy and makes him the MVP of the offensive game plan on Saturday. Obviously, you want to talk about Clayton, too, throwing all the touchdowns and all. He had, again, they scored five touchdowns and a field goal, and Clayton 
through five touchdowns. It feels easy to also give him his credits and his helmet stickers and all those kinds of things. But I feel like all of that is because of the way that the defense had to adjust to Tank Dell. So I'm going to also make sure we shout them out at least equally. I, I was telling, <laughs> I was on Twitter on the weekend saying I need a tank emoji. I need to just push a tank whenever I see a big play out of tank. And Apple, I have an iPhone. I'm Team iPhone. Sorry to break some hearts there. But uh, Team iPhone, we need a tank emoji. I need to be able to just tweet a tank emoji for when these kinds of things happen. Anyway, I feel like at the end of the day, the offense, because of the dominance of Tankdale because of the stepping up of Stacy Sneed, because of the crispness of Clayton Toon, ran a lot like a well-oiled machine. And speaking of well-oiled machines, this week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by Nissan. The th- thrilling designs behind the new lineup of Nissan are intended to empower drivers in vehicles as capable as the driver themselves. Now, when I think of unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moment, it has to be the bobbling catch that Kayshawn Carter had. Now, I don't know if you remember this play because it didn't result in a touchdown. I don't even actually think they, they caught or they, they scored a touchdown on the, I say caught touchdowns, went through touchdowns, that they had a touchdown on the drive. But I do remember, like, Kayshawn Carter bobbles the ball up and then ends up laying flat on his back while he's pulling the ball in on top of himself. Really, really fascinating, like, focus on the football. And bluntly, kind of a key, key spot that had they not turned the ball over to so thereafter is important for this football team to have multiple options when they do take away Tanktail down the middle of the field. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across the Nissan's uh, new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at Nissan. Now, as we're getting into defensive highlights and defensive stance from the football game, I think first I need to just talk about Belk's defense across the whole. Now, Coach Belk has a really, really well-run defense. I really, really like some of the stuff I see out of his front seven because of the dominance of his front four. But I have to say, if you just told me on Friday that they were only going to give up 325 yards to the, again, the triple option attack, 325 yards on 32-minute possession for Navy, I'd feel kind of good about it. If you added in that they had a couple big picks and that they kept them to just about 200 yards rushing after the kind of dominance we've seen that team have, I'd feel really, really good about it. So shout out to Belk and the defensive game plan. They took the dual threat of Ty Lavatai out of the game. Again, if you had not paid attention or didn't really listen to last week's preview, Ty Lavatai is not your traditional Navy quarterback that is just run, run, run. He really is traditionally a much stronger passer than we saw on Saturday. And I want to give the defense scheme credit for shutting that down. Now, Dabo Fofana did have 20 yards or 20 carries for 89 yards and a touchdown. I feel like that is worth, like, if you're going to give something up, giving up the short dive plays and letting guys like Jamari Caldwell eat that stuff up is okay. Frankly, the only real bust I can think of was there was a giant throwing catch, or giant catch, I should say, from Umbarger on their end, uh, you know, big 52-yard reception. That's about the only, like, bust I can think of. It was a play-action pass, got behind us on defense, and while there's a couple other play-action pass attempts that were overthrown, underthrown, those kinds of things, that was one that they connected on. So that's certainly one that I felt, you know, like if they're only going to have one big bust, that's a good, good scheme, right? They're playing through a good, good scheme. The other thing I want to point out is that if Ty Lavatai is this dual-threat quarterback that he is being hyped to be, and I I think he is that guy, uh, truthfully, being able to pick him off twice in just 13 attempts is impressive in and of itself, right? Again, their attempts are mostly deep shots. Their attempts are mostly deep shots because they've sucked you up into the run game. 
and it feels like Houston was more than prepared. We heard last week Coach Belk talk about that Navy is the third highest in yards per completion going into this game, and they really take those big shots. Houston's DBs were prepared. Now, I in particular, uh, I feel very strongly that the defensive line, you could just give all of them helmet stickers for this game, right? De'Anthony Jones, Nelson Caesar, uh, Chip Nwankwo, uh, Latrell Bankston. Across the board, these guys, Jamari Caldwell even came in, Jamichael Neal, like uh, the entire rotation, even Elias Bell comes in the game and makes impact type of plays. I think of moments in particular, right, with Caesar Nelson shutting down. He plays both, he feathers the pitch while playing the quarterback on the option, and anyway, it was really, really pretty to watch uh the team had seven tackles for loss and in a read option scheme i think that's impressive in a way that might not jump off the page otherwise right the entire goal of them is to continue to rush for positive yards even if it's two yards at a time because they're making you you know misdirection those kinds of things and seven tackles for loss is relatively big having one sack again it's two half sacks and they only drop back to throw the football 13 times so let's factor these in they drop back to throw the football 13 times. Two of those times, Houston is the team catching the ball. Another one of those times, they have a combined two halves and a sack. Right? Like, in theory, that means there are only 10 passes completed with any sort of cleanliness. Now, that's not counting hurries, right? Houston also had two hurries, and so that factors into that 13 as well. And the the front seven got after it. The front four certainly did. Sack Avenue was alive and kicking across the board on Saturday. Now, I've talked a lot about like team-wide things. So if we're going to hand out individual helmet stickers or accolades for the game on Saturday, I think Jace Rogers needs to get a big, big shout-out for what he did in the defensive backfield. Um, we'll talk some about some of the plays he didn't make, I guess, in our sweating segment in a minute. But I will say that Jace Rogers did... Uh, step up and step into a spot that I don't know that he necessarily thought he was going to. There's a couple different injuries across the back half of the Houston defense. And so he plays a little bit more of the, he's typically a nickel guy. He had to play some more of the outside corner kind of stuff. Anyway, he has a big, big pick on what I think was a tip ball, but I still haven't really gotten confirmation was a tip ball over the middle. He also had a big, big return after said pick. Art Green also had a big pick on a breaking out route. Now, I have to say that that was as impressive. Like, he gives up the out route and then has the catch-up speed to cut underneath it and pick it. And then he has his own nice return back down the sideline. So both of those guys need to have big-time helmet sticker type of games for what they did on defense. I'm going to also give one out now. Y'all have heard me a couple times now talking about how much I like watching Nelson Caesar play football. But the big defensive end had a couple different defensive stops. Obviously lighting up the quarterback on some of the option stuff. But I think the play that makes it a helmet sticker kind of game more so than just playing the option really well. Although I would say that a defensive end playing the option really well is probably also a helmet sticker kind of game. Is he gets a hand on a field goal right before half. I think what is kind of forgotten in the course of this game is is it was still a little dicey into the early part of the third quarter. And had they converted that field goal, Houston might have been up with some problems. Right, We've seen them have issues in close games in the past. They've had a lot of close games this season. And they have not all gone Houston's way. And so to see him get a hand up, a big old paw, bear paw, kind of up on that field goal was really, really important. And frankly, a breath of life going into halftime. Now, in our segment in a minute, we'll talk about how that might not have been coming out of halftime. It might have been too comfortable. But I have to say that was good for them as they went into halftime. Uh, the other guy I want to shout on the defensive front line 
individually. Again, there's lots of guys that you can talk about, but on a big fourth down stop, Jamari Caldwell came in from a defensive tackle position and made a big, big play. Now, defensive tackles typically are getting taken out of these types of games, right? In an option type scheme, they're double teaming the D tackle to read the D end, make him wrong, etc. And Caldwell on a fourth down play gets cut blocked by both the guard and tackle in front of him as a three technique. So he's playing between the guard and tackle. Both guys go at both of his knees. Now it's technically not illegal. It's not a high low. They both go to cut block Jamar Caldwell. He slips past them and what looks like a, about a bear crawl, he gets one big hand up on Daba Fofana's thigh and slows him up, holds him still while other people come in and clean up the pile. Now, the guys who clean up the pile also guys are giving helmet stickers too, right? That's also Nelson Caesar. That's also Jace Rogers because he's in the, in the slot position at that point. And so I have to say that like that feels like a very like team-oriented play, but also... I got to shout out the initial beating a double cut block to then bear crawl and start the whole thing. Because frankly, again, it was 14-0 at that point. They're at about midfield. If Navy gets a first down there and continues rolling 14-7, the Navy scores again later. Then it's you know 21-14 at halftime. We saw what happened coming out of halftime. And so I feel like that was an un, like unsung hero kind of moment for Jamari Caldwell. And I, and I feel like there are several other instances of that across the board in the defense. I mean, early in the third quarter, Caldwell himself like slips a double team to make a big tackle on Lavatai, which, again, if a defense can do that, it like, kind of disrupts the whole system, right? The whole thing is double team the nose, double team the three, read the other guys. And if he can split the double team and make the play, all of a sudden the whole scheme is out the window, right? So Caldwell's individual efforts do not go unnoticed. Other guys across the board, too, we got to see more of Nwankwo do the same kinds of things up front. He was certainly an impactful player in eating up blocks and making plays or making getting hands in on plays even when he was being blocked. I just want to make sure I shout him out. I, I just love our front seven. I just love our front line. Donovan Mooton had a big, big tackle, like one that looked like it kind of hurt a little bit if you were the Navy guy. <laughs> a big, big tackle in the, I think it was late third, if I may, and my notes are correct, in the late third quarter. Uh, and it was interesting to hear him talk earlier in the week about working with Jamal Morris and Tremarcus Cheeks and those guys and kind of coming together and then He's also the leader after having that big moment earlier in the week on those kinds of things. That doesn't mean that they didn't make me sweat, though, over the course of this football game. And speaking of sweating, I am one that always gets a little bit sweaty when I have to talk for long periods of time or talk in front of a group of people. And as someone who teaches, I am talking in front of a group of people most of the day. I was kind of figuring out, how am I going to fight this? Do I have to wear like three different shirts to make sure I don't sweat through all different shirts? Then you get hot and you sweat through more. And then I found sweat block. Now, I had this because honestly, some of the people that work with at Lockdown are like, you need to try this out, try this out, check this out, those kinds of things. And sweat block gives me the confidence to wear what I want without that embarrassing underarm sweat. They have the sweat block wipes are featured and tested by the Rachel Ray show by different firefighters that standing up to that kind of heat. If someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try sweat block. Save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. It's also available on Amazon. Make sure you go to sweatblock.com and use the promo code locked on to get 20% off. Get started with sweatblock and stop sweating. Stop getting embarrassed today. All right, so now is the segment where we talk about everything that went wrong. Now, I first I should point out that Houston did win 38 to 20 over a conference opponent in Navy. Navy is not your average conference opponent. That even though they are two and five after the game over the weekend, it is the kind of offense that makes sure you practiced for Navy. It's a unique offense that you cannot prepare for without being very very diligent in your study. And we should probably also shout out. 
backup linebacker Perry Olsen, who spent time as a quarterback at the Naval Academy before eventually transferring around the world a little bit and ends up in Houston. He actually ran the scout team offense throughout the week as the quarterback for Navy. And so we did get a little bit of a real upfront look at it. Now, I, I say all that to say that I am not totally comfortable with the way some things went in the course of the Navy win. And I feel like in beating Navy, we're going to feel good about some things that I don't know that we should feel good about. Now, Houston had all the time in the world to pass the ball, right? All the time in the world to pass the ball. And that certainly helps out some, except that ball security, both from Toon, who fumbled the ball once, leading to a touchdown directly, like the defense scored on that play, and a handful of his pass receivers, right? Tank Dell had a fumble. Um, I, I guess technically Campbell had his own fumble as a running back, but I digress. These guys fumbled the football four times in the course of playing Navy. Now, Navy is an admirable program, no pun intended, an admirable program and one to look at as a model for a lot of different things. Being the kind of hard-hitting defense that makes you fumble the football is certainly not one. That has me worried about playing SMU down the road, right? That has me worried about playing other big-time opponents. That has me worried about going to the Big 12 next year. That has me worried about the bowl games. Being able to hold on to the football against a hard-hitting defense is going to be difficult. And I'm not sure that Navy is that hard-hitting defense, and Houston could not hold on to the football. Now, I did see people pointing out that, you know, that's actually not fumble and turnover rates do go up following your bye week because you haven't played a full speed game or whatever. And and I guess that sounds like an excuse to me and I'm not really willing to buy it. But what I will say is that I see the fumble issue as one that can be practiced, can be coached. And if I had a better feeling surrounding the coaching staff after the game over the weekend, I, I guess I would feel a little bit better. I, I worry that we still aren't really sure what we're good at offensively. I look at us running up-tempo stuff very, very well, and we continue to not want to just do that all the time. Coach said himself, Holgerson said immediately following the game on the field and then the press conference afterwards that starting fast was a point of emphasis for them, but they didn't start fast by going up-tempo. They just started fast by being more athletic on the perimeter, and I think that's great when you're playing Navy, right? That's great. When you're playing someone better than Navy you're going to have to do something different to, quote, start fast. And I think we all understand that that's when Houston's at their best, offensively is going fast, and I continue to be frustrated by the fact that they're not. They went up-tempo at one point on their second possession, and frankly, it kind of looked like a cheat code. Like, it looked like Navy had no chance if they were to go fast. I get not trying to empty the clip against a team like Navy, a team you ought to be without it, but also, I think if you're just going to try and pull it out in, like, the SMU game, which is in a couple weeks, and it's like the next crazy difficult game, I feel like you need to have done it in a game situation before. I don't think you can just whip that out when it's time to go up to Dallas, up the road, and play in a hostile environment on the road. I don't think that's something you can do, or at least I don't think that that's something they're going to be able to do very successfully. I also look at what Houston was doing offensively and kind of have some questions about, like, okay, but does this play call work if you don't have six seconds to throw the football, right? Intricate man-beating routes are really, really great when you know you're not going to have any pressure from the defensive line because your offensive line is just better than those guys. But when you're playing more talented teams, I worry if you can rely on Tank Dell putting three moves on a corner and getting to the end zone because the guy just can't keep up with him when you only have two and a half seconds of the football, right? He's not going to pull off three moves and you're two and a half seconds. 
that ain't gonna work the same way, right? And if that's not gonna work the same way, what do you have to hang your hat on? Now, I do appreciate that they moved to Stacy Sneed in the run game because, frankly, it was you know responding to the fumble I thought was it was incredibly like concise and swift. It was like, oh, you fumbled, you're next man up kind of thing. And, you know, he had an impressive day the rest of the game. Playing about half the football game, he had 100 yards on the ground. Had he played the whole football game, he might have had a lot more. He might have been closer to that 150 mark. And I think that that's impressive in and of itself. And I bet that Stacey Sneed gets the start against South Florida. Now, that's not the only, like, that's, I guess, a positive coaching thing, right? Making sure we make the read there. But I worry, like, why wasn't Snead the starter from the jump? Like, what was going on behind the scenes there? What aren't we seeing as we get ready for that? But I, I digress. The other coaching issue I had that I thought gave me a little bit of pause was there was an awkward moment when Houston's kind of moving the ball but does get to a fourth and one and kind of waits around before awkwardly calling timeout to figure out what they want to do. And they end up going to somewhat of a Clayton Tune. RPO kind of thing. I say RPO because I'm not in the huddle, but it looked like to me that ran a slant arrow concept on the right side of the field and then a QB power to the left side of the field. And Toon had the freedom to pick which one he liked more. He took the QB power and took it up the sideline or took it to the sideline before getting tackled. Got the first down. I I worry like why did that take? That's a fairly simple. That's a fairly simple play that like is either completion in the flats to the slant arrow or it's coming back there with power based on how they line up the box and all that kind of stuff. The kind of thing that doesn't take a high a very high sophisticated high school offense to run so why is houston having to call timeouts at that point in the game again it was early second quarter you hope to use those timeouts later if you need them why is taking a timeout set that up right like what is the purpose of calling that timeout the the other thing i think and again i like clayton, getting clayton tune on the edge i have no problem with the play call the other thing i think that worried me about the coaching and this is a little bit bigger so it, it feels separate is coming out of halftime Houston took their foot off the gas in a way that, frankly, didn't feel accurate to how the game had been played. Right, it was twenty-one to seven at half. Right, twenty-one to seven at half, and frankly, you had a a couple of big plays of the defense, including a field goal block that kept it from being closer. And then they come out and they force three down on defense. Defense plays great, and then Houston gets a one-play fumble, and then Navy gets the ball, misses a field goal. And then Houston gets a fumble that is again the the sack for the sack fumble that turns into a touchdown, and then Houston gets the ball and gets stopped and has to kick a field goal, right? And then the defense gets an interception and kind of saves the day. And Houston, it's, at that point, it's twenty-four to fourteen. They drive down, make it thirty-one to fourteen, and it kind of ices the game from there. There was a moment there where the fumble turned it to twenty-one to fourteen. We were like, you know what? They'd missed a field goal and had a field goal blocked. And if Navy had gone for two at that point, if they'd had those field goals and gone for two at that point, it was going to be a tied game, right? That's not an un, that's not some like crazy alternate reality that Navy has a tied game in the middle of the third quarter because they got those field goals through and go for two on that one after the touchdown, after the defensive touchdown. All of a sudden, Houston's in a tie game with their foot off of the gas and really, really, really hoping for the defense to kind of step up and save the day. And when we think about like the last 15 to 20 years of Houston football, how often have we said we're going to hope for the defense to save the day, especially in a system that Holgerson is running 
the offense for. That seems a little bit backwards. Now, we have a big, fun week ahead of us with Houston football. We're going to be dissecting it all week long. We're also going to have Andy Yanez of the Potsdam at JAMA and Gallery Sports. He does a bunch of different stuff for the University of Houston online. I'm sure you've seen his name. He's going to come on this week and talk to us some about the super secret scrimmage that happened over the weekend. We're going to hopefully talk to some people from USF about previewing that game that is next weekend. All kinds of fun things happening for the Cougs. So make sure you find and subscribe to Locked on Cougs and make us your first listen. You can find me on Twitter. I'll be sharing the links out every single day, multiple times a day, actually, every single day. I'm at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. I'll be sharing the links out every single day. Wherever you find your podcast, you can just search Locked on Cougs or the University of Houston's daily sports podcast with the Locked on Podcast Network. So make sure you download and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Make us your first listen of the day. If you're looking for a second listen, make sure to listen to the Locked On Astros podcast as the Houston Astros are making a push for another World Series ring. They've been doing a great job following all of the Houston Astros content along the way. There are daily podcasts about each and every game, including rain delays and open roofs and all kinds of other conspiracy kind of things. So make sure you go check out Locked on Astros. Thank you all so much. Again, please download, subscribe, give us a five-star review, do all the wonderful things about the podcast. Find me on Twitter at Painsworth512. Go Cougs!